Hi, this is John. And today on Theocast, Justin and I want to comfort you who struggle with this question. Is God really good? And does he really love me? We so often make our interactions with God transactional. And we want to prove to you from scripture that you did not enter this relationship with God by something you have done that was positive. And you do not remain in God's good favor and his blessings and his kindness because of your obedience. And let us prove that to you from scripture. We hope you enjoy. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed pastoral confessional perspective. Today, and our, professional. And professional. Yeah. Four, <laughs> four tries and an A little intro. inside baseball. <laughs> we're professionals here at Theocast. If you want to know the heart behind what we're trying to do, we desperately want to clarify the gospel. We do. And reclaim the purpose of the kingdom. Your hosts today are Pastor Justin Purdue of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm John Moffat. I'm the pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And today, Justin, we are back in our perspective states it was fun to record together. That's mm-hmm. the last podcast you guys heard. It's been a couple of weeks for us since we've been together, but it's true. Uh, it's good to been be a back. Minute. Lots and, happened. Yeah. You know, I did see someone's criticizing us, Justin, for saying pod, being back on the pod together. I know, you know, uh, people, if, if, I feel like people will create and find <laughs> any way to criticize that they can. That's right. Man. Like there are yeah. plenty of things I'm sure that we've done that are legitimately yeah. worthy of cr- criticism. You know, but I don't know that that is one of them. You know, some people like to run to, you know, like, to, like to uh, create problems in their well, life. I, I don't some like people, to run. Some people just have the gift of encouragement, John. Well, you know? and so the other day I decided to go on Twitter just to torture myself, you know, oh, like wear gosh. a hairy shirt and whip myself. And I got hmm. done like 30 seconds in and I was like, wow, that was, that was torturous. That was painful. People like yeah. to say all kinds of interesting things. All right. Hey, guess what? We've got some fun stuff coming your way. And uh, can't make all the announcements right now, but a couple of things just to remind you of that if you're new to Theogash, you may not know about. We have a church finder, and it is rapidly growing with sound, godly, gospel-preaching, wonderful churches. There's, Mm -hmm. I think, over 75 churches in there, and I've already heard people uh, found churches in their own cities, and so it's been encouraging. If you didn't know about that, go to our website, and you can see that there's a church finder there. We have a categories page. If you want to know all the different categories we recommend of topics we have covered, go to the recommendation uh, categories page. We also have a recommended book page, and if you want to read through that and you just want to know what are some of our top favorites, Every week on Wednesday morning, when the episode comes out, we also send out a book recommendation. You can go to our website, scroll down the bottom, it says sign up for book recommendation. You can do that. So just some stuff that we're trying to help the wonderful community that is in God's kingdom globally. And uh, it's been encouraging. We've been contacted recently, too, from people all over the world. I particularly mm-hmm. had a pastor reach out to me this morning from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Anyways, that's it, Justin. Uh, some other stuff coming. I'm going to save that for our supporters later. I'll tell you about some of the new stuff coming. I don't want to waste any more time. I want to get into the subject because I want all the minutes we can get because, man, frankly, I love this topic. 
and I love clarifying it. So Justin, tell us what it is we're talking about today. We're going to talk today about the goodness of God. I don't know exactly what the episode title is going to be. We haven't figured that out yet. This is one of those where we, we've been talking about everything under the sun. I was on vacation. We've both been very busy and, uh, I'm back in the saddle this week, which anybody knows that when you take vacation, you come back to work. It's like, Hey, can I say before we get into the subject, I'm going to take back over. What we were talking about was GRN. If you haven't registered for that, you should. We're doing a GRN meeting. There's a pre-conference, October 3rd and 4th. Justin and I are going to be speaking on all kinds of different subjects like law gospel distinction, covenantalism, confessionalism. And each Mm -hmm. evening, we're going to have a time of worship and preaching. So if you would like to, it's um, registration is $20, suggested donation. It's going to be in just outside of Nashville. Go yep. to gracereformnetwork.org. All right, done. Yep. So we were talking a lot about that and other things, talking about our churches, talking about our personal lives. And we have not done any kind of mapping out for this episode. We talked about the, we threw this topic out as a possibility, and here we are. We're off and running. Yeah. The goodness of God. And in particular, the angle that we want to come at this with, I don't suspect that's proper grammar, but the the angle we've got today is that forever, I mean, the ever since sin entered the world and God, even immediately upon the, the fall of man, promises a redeemer, we know that shame, guilt, fear, all of those things as sin enters the world, those things enter the world too. And so we tend to question, we question whether God is good, whether God is gentle, whether God is really for us, whether God really loves us or you know, whether or not he's just displeased, dissatisfied, ashamed of us, and is really eager to just judge us in his righteousness and holiness and drop the hammer. And our lives are often hard. Our circumstances are difficult. We pray for things and we don't get the answers to our prayers that we would like to get. There's all this stuff that goes on in our lives and we question God's goodness. And at the end of the day, I think we're just afraid as I already alluded to, I think we're afraid that it will not end well for us because we sin far more than we want to. We're often discouraged by a lack of affection for God, a lack of desire for the things of God. Uh, We want to see more growth, more fruit, and we are disappointed in ourselves. And deep down, we suspect that God may very well be disappointed in us too. And so contrary to the witness of the scriptures, we tend to fall back into fear. We tend to operate from a position of dread with respect to God, and we tend to question his character and his goodness and his inclination toward us. And so we're going to talk about all of that. We don't have the episode mapped out. We're just going to have a conversation as two brothers in Christ, two pastors, and popcorn this around a little bit. And we trust that some encouraging things at least will come uh, come out of our mouths as we interact over the subject matter. So John, just wherever you're wanting to start us off, man, the goodness of God to wretched sinners like us, people that he has loved from before the foundations of the world, not because of anything in us, but because he loves us. That's right. Yeah. The greatest hope we have is God's love towards us. If we do not have this hope, then we have nothing. We have every reason to be afraid and to live uh, a life of depression. Yeah. And that that's um unfortunately because that's true that is under attack constantly. Mm-hmm. Um I was just preaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where 
we're going to do a whole episode on this, but I'm not going to get into it today, but where he says the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but of divine power. Sure. To, to It says to attack every uh, word that is against the knowledge of Christ, right? Which means that Satan comes and he brings lies about God to us and our hearts believe them. Mm-hmm. This is why in scripture, they the writers of the New Testament are always giving us views about uh, God and the relationship yeah. to God. Um, and why it's important to fight back against these lies. So I'll give you an example here. This is Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy mm. uh, chapter 1. And we know this passage, and we quote it often, but I'm going to quote the whole context for you because I think it'd be important. He says, for God, uh, f- for God gave us a spirit, not of fear. Now, why would he have to say that? Because it's an actual problem. And I think that right. fear— I mean, Again, look at the garden, man. Adam, yeah. Adam and Eve are afraid. That's as soon right. as they sin, they are afraid of God. And That's his right. presence produces not comfort, but dread in them. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians gives the indication that we are the enemy of God and that we're yes. under his wrath. Right. By right? nature. Yes. That's why he says we've been transfer- transferred from the domain of darkness into, the do- into his kingdom. Well, if you're in his kingdom, which means you belong to his family, you are the brother of Jesus, right? You're the adopted child. Yeah. So he says, dear child, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. So if you have fear, th- this is what's great, Justin. If mm-hmm. you are afraid of God, it's not of God. That's mm-hmm. of something else. And we know that all lies are connected to Satan. He's the father of all lies. This is Jesus. So he's saying, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the yeah. testimony about our Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, there are times where people, Ben, Justin, they'll come after us, they'll come after Reformed theology, mm-hmm. and they make us, you know, they say, you guys are careless. You're That's making true. God out to sound like he's a teddy bear only, that he he is okay with sin. We are not saying any of those things. Mm-hmm. But it is very clear that if Paul is also concerned about Timothy uh, feeling ashamed of the truth, the testimony, testimony meaning uh, the 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 declaration of who God is, right? Mm-hmm. The the person and work of who He is. He says, "Don't don't be ashamed of that." Don't mm-hmm. and so um, that would mean that there is a potential of it. And this is where at times I'm realizing that people's joy and lack of assurance, and I would say even energy to do the work of God for his kingdom is often tampered because the view of God is altered or changed or it's manipulated. And the goal of this episode is to liberate us from that and allow mm-hmm. the truth of scripture to be that which gives us our confidence. One other passage, and I'll throw it over to you, Justin. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, is deconstructing their view of God. Matthew 7, when he's helping them understand how they can communicate with their father, he's like, okay, guys, let's get this straight. You who are evil give good gifts to your children. What do you think is going to happen with your father who is good? Like we we just have this view that, well, I haven't done well and I don't deserve for him to answer my prayer. I, I don't really know if I want to ask him for grace and mercy or for help and wisdom. And Jesus is saying, you do not have a proper understanding of your relationship to your father. Right. Like, and I'll just uh, steal your quote, but we often treat God like we treat ourselves. 
as far as our our view, oh, I'll put that upside down. We treat God less than we would treat yeah. our own selves. Well, we tend to think that God is not as merciful as we are. Thank you. Right. And yeah. we tend to think that he is not as compassionate as we are. Or he's That's not right. as gentle. He's not as understanding. All of those things because... We, you and I know, using continue to pick up on your analogy, and then I may go back to the the Second Timothy one and dovetail that with Romans eight. But yeah. you know the the parenting analogy that you have picked up on that Jesus speaks of at multiple points in the Gospels, where he does say that you are wicked and you know how to give good things to your children. How much more so? An argument from the lesser to the greater. How much more so is God, who is without sin, who is not wicked, but who is good? How much more so will he give good things to his children when they ask for them? Mm. So he's trying to encourage us in prayer. He's trying to encourage us to approach the Father in prayer because of the Father's disposition toward us. Because like you said, we we are often so afraid and ashamed to go to God in prayer because we have this innate sense of needing to clean ourselves up first. I need to get some things in order. You know, I need to come to the Father looking reasonably presentable before I can really ask him for something. Because if I come to him as a miserable wretch and the wreck that I am uh, in my own mind and heart, I know what's going on in there. If I come to him in this condition, surely then he's not going to be inclined to answer my request. And we've got it so wrong in so many ways because we're, we're thinking about ourselves and our own merit, our own worthiness. And of course, we're not worthy, but Christ is worthy. We have been declared just because Christ is just and the Father sees us in Christ and he loves us. And he set that love on us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And so we can approach him with confidence and boldness without fear. But yes, he's a good father and he loves his children and he delights in giving his children good things. And so we should go to him and ask him. And just dear listener out there, as you hear me speaking these words, I speak better than I live. Uh, and I think John would <laughs> say the all, same we thing. <laughs> like we preach better sermons than we can live. We oh, man. record better podcasts Do you know that's why Paul says it's the live. foolishness of preaching. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, even the apostles and the men who wrote scripture, it's very, anyway. I mean, read yeah. some of the writings of the apostles and it's very plain that they're just like us. Read the, the entire witness of the scriptures. The people of God are just like us. They always have been. And we all struggle in very similar ways. And so back to, back to what we're considering, we need to be reassured over and over again that God is loving and kind and gentle and that he wants us to come to him, that he's not rolling his eyes, metaphorically speaking, like, oh my gosh, here comes this miserable sinner again he has failed again. She has botched it again. And I've got to keep putting up with this. Like that is not his posture toward us. It's good to be reminded of that because I tend to, as I just said, I talking better than I live because I tend to operate based on my own merit, my worthiness. I tend to be afraid. I tend to be ashamed. I tend to not want to not be inclined to run to God in my moment of need. I, I feel the need to do something myself first and I just got, I have to be perpetually reminded from the scriptures, go to the Lord. He's loves you. He's good. So you, you mentioned second Timothy one, I'll be brief on this and you can take us in another direction, John. Yeah. Yep. Second Timothy one, we have not been uh, given a spirit of fear. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's second Timothy one, seven. Well, Romans eight fifteen. there are similar words written. And this is in the context of our being adopted 
as children. So this fits beautifully with some of the things we've already been considering. We've been adopted as God's children. We have become heirs of God in Christ because everything that's Christ's is now ours. Christ is the heir of an eternal kingdom, and we are heirs with him. And through our union with him, we will inherit that, that same kingdom and will reign with Christ. So it's in that context of our adoption that Paul writes these words. He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And come on, goodness. I mean, it's, you read it and it'll preach itself, right? I mean, God was our judge, but he's not our judge anymore. He's now our father. I just want to repeat that God for the Christian who has trusted Christ, been adopted by God, God is no longer our judge. He's our father. And that changes everything. That is a life-altering reality. Similar language in Galatians chapter 4 about this. Let me just read it. I want to make sure I've... See, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. I'm turning. I'm turning. I'm losing the Bible drill, even as we speak. (laughs) But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Mm. Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this is our new identity. This is our new status. We talk about that a lot on Theocast, about our new status is one of being justified, Our new identity is one of being in Christ. We have a new name, like we've been adopted. We've been given God's name now. He set that on us, and he loves us. And so we need to be reminded continually of these things so that we might remember that God is our Father, that he loves us, that he wants to bless us, that he delights to give us good things. He doesn't want to do us harm. He has our eternal good always in view, and so that should encourage us in prayer, and it should encourage us in our thoughts of our King. That's right. You know, at times it can be confusing when we think of our relationship with our children and try and make correlation to God. Mm -hmm. For instance, um, my children can never be disowned by me as far as like naturally because they're of me. Now I can disown them like where I don't want to acknowledge their existence anymore. And that could be based upon performance. Because they're not performing to a level that I am in, I'm in agreement with. And, and people have done this. They've disowned their own children. Um, but what's so powerful about our relationship with God is that at no moment, and at any moment in our ex- experience with the Father, is it transactional. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, see, what's so even so different about our relationship with God is that God puts a spirit within us to cause us to walk in his ways, which I can't do to my children. You know, I can't cause them through some supernatural power. But I just want to go to Ephesians. I've been thinking about this lately and preaching through it. And, you know, he's describing our former self and he mm-hmm. describes it in such a way that he's like, look, you once walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Like you, you walked according to the ways of Satan. And then he says, among whom we all once lived by the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. He's saying, you weren't in a good standing with God. So there was no transaction. You were dead. 
and you deserve to be dead, and that's how God saw you. And not only that, you deserved wrath. But God, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy. Now, here's where the motivating acts happens, right? You ready for this? God gives mercy, and he gives a lot of it because of the great love with which he loved us. Mm-hmm. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Amen. Christ. And then he goes on to say, what does he say in verse 9? Say Not a result him, of works. <laughs> yeah. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Mm-hmm. The relationship that we have with our Father is that we bring nothing into the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing but our sin and our failures and our constant lack of faith. And what does God bring into the relationship? Mercy and grace upon grace. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Amen. And that whole grace, <laughs> the grace paradigm is critical in yeah. that entire passage in Ephesians 2, and there's all kinds of other places in Scripture we could go. What is grace the exact opposite of? What it is? What is its opposite merit, right? Mm. And so you talked about, use that word transaction or transactional. Mm. Yeah, the the antithesis of transaction and merit is grace. Gotcha. And so what we have to understand, of course, because God is just and he's holy, everything he does is right, there has been a transaction. There have been works done, but that transaction was made and those works were done by Christ mm-hmm. that has earned salvation for all those who would ever trust in him. And so as we come to the Father through the Son, by faith in Christ, it is completely based upon grace, not our merit. It's faith, not our works, right? And it's grounded in God's eternal love for us that was set upon us, not because we deserved it, but because God loved us. Hmm. And that is so, man, foundational. And yeah. and we need to keep saying these things. And I'm going to, if, if you're cool with it, I'm going to pivot to Luke 15. I I don't know if you have any other thoughts on grace right now. I don't want to derail your train. Yeah, I might have jumped yeah, in. Yeah, one on other that. thought, and it's a, a little bit upside down for people. You know, Justin, because we love our children, and, and Hebrews um, even alludes to this, we who are evil fathers will discipline our children, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, so, it's Hebrews 12, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises yep. every son whom he receives. Now, I find great comfort in that because sin— um, it enslaves me, it kills me, it, it destroys my experience of hope and joy, um, it enslaves others, it hurts others. And because God loves me, because he loves me, he will do things in such a way that will, di- what I, when I think of discipline, I think him reaching out and pulling mm-hmm. me back towards himself, saying, mm-hmm. son, you have wandered, and so I'm going to have to do something that you're, you know, I'm going to pull you back into me. And yeah. We we often think of the chastisement of God as he's angry. He's an angry father. He's no. not angry. No. He says love is his it's yeah. the same love that he gave you when he 
showed mercy upon you and didn't show wrath. And when he yeah. pulls you back to himself, in other words, I love how this is said, he repents you, that's out of love. He repents yeah. you back to himself, not of anger, but out of love. It's all of his motivations towards us are always love. And that's just really hard for human beings. We don't treat each other this way. This is why it's an unusual supernatural relationship that we have with God that is unhuman. And we try to humanize God, and that's the danger of this relationship. You can never humanize him in that way. Now, I'm, even with our relationship with Jesus is unnatural because he, in being a human, loves us because he's God, right? Mm -hmm. And so even that relationship is unique in that it's not like any other relationship because those relationships are based upon sin. Anyways, that was the only other thought I no, wanted to add. I, I'm going to just go ahead and add to what you're saying before I, I go to Luke yeah. 15. In the second London Confession, the confession that we subscribe to, chapter five, paragraph five, chapter 17, paragraph one. Chapter five is on providence. Yeah. Chapter 17 is on uh, the perseverance of the saints, right? So 5.5, 17.1, read those paragraphs sometime if if you have opportunity. They will encourage your soul to no end on this topic. Like even thinking about Hebrews 12 and God being a loving father and he disciplines those he loves. So we, again, fallible parents, we sometimes discipline our kids out of frustration, uh, but deep down, good fathers and mothers at the human level understand that there are things that we have to teach our children. There are things that we need to train them in. There are things that we need to help them see. There are things we need to make them aware of if it's going to go well for them even in this life. You know, how much more so then does our Heavenly Father need to discipline, correct, guide, chastise us for our eternal benefit? And to keep us from sin and the things that would wreck our souls. Mm. And so in 5.5 in the confession, it acknowledges that God in his providence allows and even ordains that his children would go through these seasons of sin, difficulty, that they would experience hardship and trials of various kinds, oftentimes the result of our own doing, but that God would be working in and through all of that to produce good things. He would humble us. He would show us the depth of our need of Christ. He would teach us the wreckage that sin produces so that the next time we're presented with a similar situation, we might not go down the same path. Mm -hmm. The confession goes on and on about the various good things that the Lord does, even in and through the sin of his people. 17.1 makes it very plain that there are, there is no way that God's elect will be lost, mm -hmm. but that there are seasons of time where all kinds of things may befall us and that, we might be shaken by any number of storms and floods and beaten to practically to death, yet we will never finally be moved from the rock and foundation of our faith, which is Christ for us, right? Christ Jesus is the rock on whom we stand. And, and we know this because God is going to keep us in Christ by faith unto salvation. And so we take comfort in all those realities uh, that even as the Lord disciplines us and chastises us, he has good and holy purposes in view. He's not mean. He's not angry. He's not sadistic. He takes no pleasure in our suffering. Mm -hmm. He doesn't delight in the perishing of the wicked. How much less so does he delight in the suffering of his children? Right? I'll, I'll add this in here. Romans 8, 28. We often use that like if someone loses a loved one or yeah. loses a child. Well, if you read that and you understand it in context, I, I actually think he's talking to a struggling believer. He's mm -hmm. like, listen, even your own sin that mm -hmm. you constantly struggle with, all things I will work 
for good. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for, like, you go back to Joseph. What does he say to his brothers? Yeah. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for yeah. good. And that's hard just for us. insane to think that God will take my sin-filled, lack of faith, fearful life, and he goes, John, it's in my power, in my yeah. strength, I will make this good. And you're like, yeah. all right, well, I'm going to trust you. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i just do one more day. Yeah, and 17.3 I left out. So this is also in the chapter on sanctification. So that they may fall into grievous sin and, and continue in them for a time due to the temptation of Satan and the world and the strength of corruption remaining in them. Hmm. And even our own neglect of the means of our preservation. You know, in, in so doing, we're going to incur all kinds of things. And we're going to hurt other people. We're going to scandalize ourselves. I mean, all of this stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, you know, we will be kept. We will be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. This is what we can take heart in, right? All right, yeah. so maybe in thinking about the goodness of God and the fact that God is a father who not only delights to give good gifts to his children, God is a God who finds joy in saving sinful people. That's right. This is a mind blow for me. I mean, mm-hmm. and th- at least for me, that like to to really see it, to wrap my mind and heart around it and to understand and it's like, Lord, write this on my heart that you, that your nature as a redeemer, the Lord has always been a redeemer, that you delight in saving people who don't deserve. Mm-hmm. And so Luke 15 is a very famous chapter. It contains one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told. You know, and I'm just going to go ahead and front load it. I know sometimes people, maybe in a punchy shock jockey way, make a big deal about like Jesus kicking it with sinners, and and they almost talk about it in a way where it's like, um, it sort of celebrates sinfulness in a way. I, yeah. I, I'm going to acknowledge that that can be done. That's right, and that that has been done. Um, that it's almost like we want to celebrate sin because those are the people that Jesus wants to be around are people who are sinners, you know. And uh, so that's not the angle I'm coming with right now. But the context matters. Luke 15, one, and I'm not going to read a lot, much of the chapter at all. I'm just going to comment. But the, the setting it up, Luke 15, one. Now, the tax collectors and sinners. So that's bad people, right? That's not likable, folks. This is not a great crowd, right? <laughs> On a cultural people, level, we don't understand. These are the people that you would not want your kids hanging out with, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So there was something about Jesus that the self-righteous and those who trusted in themselves, they hated him, didn't want to be near him, wanted to kill him. The people who were sinful and knew that they were, were drawn to him. Interesting. Verse two, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. (laughs) They're upset by the fact that he receives people such as this and even eats with them, breaks bread with them. Mm -hmm. So he told them this parable. So he starts to tell parables. First one he tells is about, you know, there's a hundred sheep and 99 are, are fine, but the one is just off bad things, not good, lost. And the shepherd leaves the 99, goes and pursues the one, finds it with great joy, lays it on his shoulders, brings it back. And when he gets back, he says, calls together his friends and his neighbors, says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Mm-hmm. And so now that that 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, that's a hypothetical category, right? I mean, we know that no such fallen person exists. But the point being 
that there is joy in heaven over what? Over a lost, wretched, miserable offender being found and, and being rescued by Christ. That's what produces joy in heaven. Next parable, similar idea. There's a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one. She turns the house inside out and upside down to find the coin. When she finds the coin, she calls her friends together and says, let's celebrate because I found my coin. Let's have a party. And he concludes again, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the, the prodigal son, right? The, we know it well. What's the point there? Same thing. There's the son that's lost and is living in debauchery and has forsaken his father and his family and all those things. And he comes to himself and he's like, you know, even this, the hired workers, the slaves in my father's house, the servants, they're doing better than I am. I'm going to go back and tell dad I'm happy to work for him. And so he, he goes and the father sees him coming. We know, we know it. The father sees him coming, runs to him, embraces him. The son goes in on his stick. You know, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is all true of us before the father, by the way. But then the father doesn't even let him finish the whole like, hey, can I work for you? That's he right. just says, bring the best robe in the house, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and let's kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate because my son was dead and he's alive. He's lost and he's found now, right? And this is the posture of, of the Lord. He's such That's a, right. he's, he is more of a redeemer. He is more loving, more compassionate, more gracious, more merciful than I conceive him to be pretty much any moment of my life. And I need to remember that this is who he is. And when you think about this, John, and when we extol these things about him, does it not evoke love and affection, gratitude, joy? I am motivated to obey. I want to do good. You know, I want to be a righteous man. It's like, look what he's done for me. And Oh, it's just so much better than this like fear and dread that's peddled around all the place. I've talked I, a long time. No, I love the story of the prodigal son because it's the latter part of the story that gets at what we're getting at. It's true. That Go son goes, yes. hey, this is not right. The older I, son. The older son. This yep. is not. And then he, what does he point to? Transactions. Yep. What look he at, look what he's done. I have done. Yeah. And the father's like, but I love you both. And I've blessed you both. Like you don't understand. Right. And that's, that's the part of that I wanted to talk about today in that the older son often is what is presented to us as this is what God is really like. Mm-hmm. And we kind of buckle, oh, so right. we buckle at the idea that God can be so lavish. All right. I got to read you one more. I know because it's connected to this. Listen because to- it, it, it all, it sounds, I know we the, the word scandalous is used maybe too much, but it is. It is scandalous. It is. Well, this is why Paul says, I don't even know how many times, four times, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Yes. Uh, this is, and, and he says it in reverse and Titus doesn't say mm-hmm. it ashamed. He says it positive. He says, for we, Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, sounds like the prodigal, disobedient, sounds like a prodigal, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, this is the verse I couldn't wait to get to. Oh, this please is read it. trustworthy. This is trustworthy. 
Paul's like, listen, you can trust what I'm saying. Why would he say that? Because people are struggling, Justin. They're struggling to believe it. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that what? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. What is he saying? Good works come from what? The they insistent co- they, on the trustworthiness of the statement. Yeah, they, they come. <laughs> good works come from the heralding of Christ. They come from the gospel. They come from regeneration. They come Amen. from God. Like That's God right. works these things in and through us. And the end of the verse, these things. So he says, this saying is trustworthy. All that beautiful presentation of the gospel, like you mm. just said. And I want you to insist on these things. That these things you're going to insist on is the gospel. That's and right. Christ for us and regeneration. And like we have been made alive together with Christ by God Almighty, by grace, not merit, by faith and not works, the whole thing. You insist on that so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, far from promoting lawlessness, lawlessness and antinomianism. Yeah. Well, then he the goes gospel, on to say, and he says, these things are excellent, excellent and, profitable and profitable for, for people. people. Holy smokes, man. I mean, what a passage that is. Don't tell me to not point to the goodness of God. He says, I must insist on it. I got to go on and say one more thing. He says, but there's a negative side of this, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about About the law. The law. They are unprofitable and worthless. Oh my goodness. And boy, do we quarrel about oh, brother, the law, you, talk, you talked about Christian Twitter. That's all that stuff is, man. It is an absolute food fight over the law and quarreling over all this stuff, controversy. Redi- and so it's, no wonder God's people are suffering because they're right. not hearing and insisting on a trustworthy thing Amen, called brother. the goodness of God's love. Yeah. So we're here May to we pound the yeah. table and say, May, let's yes. insist on it. Yes, and like... Father, we believe, help our unbelief. May we trust that you are this way. And I promise all of us, I mean, if we thought more about the goodness and the love and the grace and the mercy of God, if we thought more about the excellencies of Christ and the fact that he is such a sufficient and mighty Savior, how could we ever be lost? If we thought more about that than we did all this other nonsense we fill our heads with and listening to the lies of the enemy and the accusations of our consciences, we would be far better off and we would not sin more. I know we say that all the time, but it is just worth repeating. I mean, I'll, I'll make a logical application here. I think people are trapped in sin and fighting. I mean, got to keep reading the passage. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do more to do with him. Why? Because it says this, knowing that such a portion is warped and sinful, and he is, what, self-condemned. Yeah. The point of it being is this. Uh, that that we don't need to be discussing unprofitable information. Mm-hmm. And it's those things that lead our hearts to, I think, pride and arrogance. Oh, it leads right. us to arguments. Yep. It stirs up strife. It stirs up strife and division in the church. So what the point, what I think we're, what I want to conclude with is, I know we're running out of time and I'm panicked about it. <laughs> I wish our podcast could be longer. That you will not waste your time discussing, uplifting, and contemplating the goodness of God. Amen, brother. In you, it will produce hope and joy Mm -hmm. and good works. Yeah. Because that's what Paul said it would do. Hope, joy, and good works. And what else would we want in this life, Justin, (laughs) than hope, joy, and good works? Yeah, and it'll give us peace for our souls. Oh, I'll say one last thing. This is where I was going in the last of my mind. No, you're Um, good. uh, I have been listening, and we've been fighting against pietism and browbeating preaching. 
you cannot produce affection and love and obedience by the law. That's his point. Affection and obedience is produced by insisting on a trustworthy statement, which is the goodness of God in the gospel. Yeah. So we keep preaching it and we keep pounding the desk for it and keep reminding ourselves that in spite of the enemy's lies and in spite of our ingrained fear because we're fallen, that God loves us, he really does, and that he's really good and that he really does delight to give us good things and that he delights to save us. Amen. And that it will be his joy. I mean, think about Luke 12, 32, I believe, right? Where Jesus says, fear not little flock. It is your father's joy mm-hmm. to give you the kingdom. You know, think about the the doxology in Jude where like through Christ, we will be presented before the presence of God with great joy. Like this is, it's the delight of God and the delight of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we would be saved from sin on account of Christ alone and that he would present us pure and blameless. I, I Those are the things that put wind in your sails and steel in your spine. And it's like, I think I can keep going now because this is what is, yeah. is the promise of a faithful God. And these are the things that await. And I often doubt that that's true because I'm a, my faith is weak and I often live out of fear. But Lord, again, help our unbelief. May we trust these promises today. May we live in this today. Let's encourage, if you're a part of a local church, make it your aim to speak these words to the brothers and sisters you live life with all the time, to John's point, because it will produce good in you and in the congregation you're a part of. Amen. Well, this is my final phrase, and I'll take us out. Ephesians 1 says that he saved us from our sin. Mm -hmm. And then Hebrews uh, four tells us that when we're struggling with our sin, we can have confidence. The uh, same Father who yeah, loved us and saved us is the same Father we can confess our failures to. So what does he say? A child with boldness, confidence, without weary, without fear. Let me rephrase it. Without being afraid, come in here and I'll give you mercy and grace. That's the relationship yeah. you have with God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> And I'm, we'll talk yeah. about that a little bit more. I'll uh, say some more to later. come. We, yeah. We've got a lot more episodes to come. Uh, I have a couple more thoughts about this. Justin and I do a second podcast called Simple Reformanda. Now, there's going to be some changes coming and good ones. We've already made some this year. We've added a couple podcasts. Um, we're on, uh, if you don't, those of you who don't know, we're on American Gospel TV now. You can go there and watch us. Uh, we've also started an education series. So um, right now, uh, Justin and I are... He's teaching through covenant theology. I just did a lecture in my series on spiritual leadership on law gospel distinction. That'll be coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm teaching on the, the covenant of grace established tonight. And all of that is available, a part of a program called Semper from Monda. And there's going to be updating that. We're going to make it better here in the next month. So stay tuned for that. So if you'd like to support what we're doing, you're, you're so encouraged by what we're trying to do. And you want more people to hear what we're doing then please support us. And you can go to theocast.org to learn all about that. There's multiple ways of supporting us, whether it's financial or being a part of our community. Uh, But we want to get this word out so more people find rest and we can keep clarifying the gospel and the light of the kingdom pushes back into the kingdom of darkness. We'll see you guys next week.